An incredible opportunity came my way in the early part of the year. I was invited to join the opening of an exhibit in Harlem. Video Games, The Great Connector is a partnership between stakeholders in New York City focused on making the $300 billion industry of video games into a one-day professional home for young New Yorkers. As you can imagine, that process of engineering pathways from a person's young life to their later career is a huge effort. A lot of institutions and individuals need to be coordinated in a plan to engage, educate, and involve learners in an experience that we hope will be passed like a baton in a relay race from one support to another. That's how you'll hear this episode, I hope. That it would feel a bit like a pathway. I'll talk to leaders supporting high school programs from Urban Arts, Nick Fortuno at City College of New York, then an incredible roster of curators and guests, all kinds of stakeholders who helped to open an exhibit in Harlem, celebrating young people and the incredible group who are working to lift up their passions. The exhibit at Harlem Gallery of Science, in a way I've never seen, is focused on how games benefit and connect young people in a world that in spite of perceptions can too often be disconnected for them. How can game worlds be therapeutic, connective, generative for their players in the way that we commune in the context of a jazz show or a quilting circle? How might this exhibit work as one stop along a genuine pathway that could extend from a high school club to a six-figure job? What follows are the voices of individuals getting involved in building this pathway in New York City from different vantage points. In the scheme of available pathways for New Yorkers, this one is a baby, but a project that we should follow closely as it mirrors the efforts of so many cities and towns across the country working on the epic challenge of skilling people for the future. I'm on the hunt for other examples of learning pathways in the U.S. especially, and I'm always grateful for your leads. If you have one, Find me at facebook.com slash no such thing pod and use my episode referral form. I'd love to hear from you. As always, the greatest gift you can offer is a five-star rating. Maybe a few words with your review while you're there. If you're listening and would be fired up to share the show on your laptop or a travel mug, I have a new batch of killer stickers. I'd be happy to send your way through snail mail in exchange for some basic info to help me learn more about listeners of the show. Enjoy the episode. This is No Such Thing, a podcast about learning in the digital age. I'm Mark Lesser. Uh, here it says, I, Eric Adams, mayor of the city of New York on Friday, February 2nd, 2024, do hereby confer this citation on the Harlem Gallery of Science. You know, this is Groundhog Day. If there ever were a day that I would love to repeat over and over and over, it would be this day. So thank you so much. Hi, I'm Philip Courtney. I am the CEO of Urban Arts, and I have been doing that for the last 20 years. Um, hi, I'm Meredith Sums. I'm the director of the School of Interactive Arts uh, Mastery Programs at Urban Arts. So I wanted to start with the role that Urban Arts plays in the lives of New York City youth. We've been around for about 30 years, and it was about six years ago where we decided to pivot or evolve into being uniquely a game and design and development program, um, because personally, myself and others in the organization passionate about the intersection of arts and technology. And we 
had served students across a wide spectrum previous to that of art forms and sort of K through 12. And we were at a, uh, at a moment in the history of the organization where we really wanted to decide what we wanted to be when we grew up. What did we really want to be good at? Combined with, in answer to your question, what outcomes did we want to drive? What impact did, did we want to have? With game design, which even six years ago was still relatively new and um, we saw a sort of an entrepreneurial opportunity to um, to reach students through uh, through through this field. And ultimately, our goal, as you alluded to earlier, is college access, but also ultimately economic mobility. Right. So I think the value that we can provide uh, to New York City youth and beyond, but for now, uh, New York City youth is um, obviously this program we do. Um, called Mastery that uh, Meredith runs, which, you know, the students develop an incredible amount of skills, both soft skills and hard skills, also develop portfolios, and and combined with a college access, a uh, very rigorous college access uh, program, one would, the one that would rival a private school, quite frankly, um, these students go on to study, some study, many study game design, but not all, computer science, game design, the animation, other sort of STEM fields. That's that's uh, where it's at for us. And so it, it's a college access program. We can really put, we, we find that um, when we think about our niche, there is something happening around the, the the nature of the students we serve, who are students from low-income communities, often black and brown students. Um, that combined with the skills they develop um, and the mastery hence the name Mastery of the program, combined with the college access is this real niche, interesting space where you know colleges are looking to to bring in more diverse student bodies. And, and um, that's, that's a little bit of the magic for us. And so, yes, we provide this foundational course in game design, but it is tied to college access pieces where really it's very important. And then most recently, um, we've added... Because we are graduating more and more students and we have more and more alumni, we've added a third pillar to our work, which is um, our alumni network. I'll just speak briefly about the genesis of Gaming Pathways because it it is interesting. So as you know, we partner with CCNY, but we, came, we for about the last four years, when we started graduating students, um, some, of course, would go to NYU and some of these fancy schools with big scholarships, but not all would get um, get that. And uh, they, many would go to the uh, to the to the CUNY schools, which is great. Um, but what we found, and what they would tell us, and we didn't know it at that point, was they would go to CUNY, but there wasn't a four-year undergraduate game design degree available. Mm. There's a great two-year uh, degree at Hostos. But the four-year undergraduate was not available, so they'd have to study adjacent subjects. And so we thought, well, that's an actually amazing opportunity for us. Um, and so we reached out to the mayor's office of media and entertainment, which is traditionally was traditionally the the office that brings you know uh, film uh, to New York and still does that when you get a whole block, uh, you know, closed off because they're filming a, a, an episode of whatever the episode is mm-hmm. um but increasingly the mayor's office of media entertainment is 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 wanting to bring new business to new york and they want to bring the game design industry <coughs> to new york and that's part of also 
uh, Mayor Adams's plan. So things lined up, right? So from our perspective, we saw an increasing demand um, for students who wanted to study game design in the CUNY system that didn't exist yet. And then the Mayor's office were already in conversations with CCNY, who um, the team up there had done a feasibility study and, and actually were canvassing their um, their potential students who are going to CCNY and saying, hey, would you be interested in studying game design? And unsurprisingly, those they had such an overwhelming um, uh, response from those students going, yeah, I'd love to study game design. And there's mm -hmm. a huge demand for this, right? So Aliyah Jones-Harvey at the mayor's office introduced us to Stan Altman at CCNY. And then we you know, spent six months rapidly prototyping uh, a program which today is known as Gaming Pathways, where we are the essentially the high school pipeline, um, and obviously CCNY is the college, and then we work on internships and mentorships. So. And how many, at, at this moment in time, how many students in the program? We consider all of our New York City youth to be on the Gaming Pathway, um, the students that we work with directly, not through our indirect teacher uh, training programs. So it's roughly... Uh, you know, 300 to over 500 uh, a year participate. We're expanding this year to hopefully uh, do some lighter touch drop-in gaming pathways uh, programming for students who haven't heard of this yet and aren't quite ready to commit to something as intensive as our mastery programs. We're going to do drop-in masterclasses where we just do an hour of uh, analog game design and play where we get them excited about the about how much fun game design can be and remind them like you know games games are the best what if you got to learn to code and uh create stories and uh do art you know on like with games in mind like so you know we get them really excited about it and then help them along that pathway to the next step whatever it is for them so if they're in ninth grade their next step on that pathway might be joining an after school club that we run at their school in harlem um if they are in that club and and it's a very casual environment maybe their next step is going to our summer intensive mastery program where they learn to code games in unity um, so at, at every moment, we're trying to help them build their identity as game designers and build their skills over time and, and pointing them towards their their next step after high school, like, mm. you know, ideally uh, a college pathway. And, um, you know, I think my favorite part about all of this is just how how amazing to be able to get a four year game design degree that does not put you into massive amounts of debt. And so uh, we are our, our students who had had, you know, other programs in mind as their top choice, like learn about, you know, like financial responsibility and learn and get to experience firsthand how awesome the CCMY program is by meeting Nick Fortunio, who runs uh, runs that degree program, uh, doing workshops with him. We have field trips all the time to CCMY just to help them get comfortable with that space and see themselves there and meet other meet students who are doing that path. Um, so yeah, I think what's so cool about what you just described is a lot of times small nonprofits having having. Uh, been at several over time, we get um, self-conscious when people ask us about the numbers because there's all different doses, right? For young, it, it, it 
people who work with young people know that you need different doses. And um, to have young people, to have a pathway available means to have different doses of that pathway available at different stages of their journey. And what's so unique about where you all are is that you've, you're starting to figure out the latter parts of that journey. And um, that secondary are now involved as a partner in this in a big way. It's just so unique and I think such a different um, value proposition from a young person's eyes of, of when they ask themselves the question of what am I doing here, uh, whether that's in, in the program context or in school or just life generally, which I haven't stopped asking, but, um, but it definitely started then. Um, I wonder, I would imagine that a lot of folks are surprised to hear you, Philip, talk about economic mobility um, for an arts program. And I, I'm not surprised and it's probably not worth all that much time um, talking about why adults <laughs> separate arts that way. But I'm curious how young people react when you talk about the pathway getting um, touching on, you know, college and economic mobility, like how do they react to that as a possibility when they come through the doors thinking I'm going into an arts program? Feel free to jump in, Meredith. But students firstly find our program in different ways and they are, everyone's wired differently. Some, some are artists, some come to our program just really wanting to, to strengthen their coding skills. And then they, but, but because you're in our program, you're going to learn the art. Or if you come at, if you come at it from the art perspective, you're also going to learn the coding. Economic mobility is an interesting one. I don't know if we actually, um, I don't know if we talk to them about economic mobility. You would know more about that, uh, Meredith. There is a number that we measure ourselves by. Uh, well, there's a few, but one of the outcomes is, how many uh, dollars in scholarships have our students earned to date, which currently is around 17 million. So I think that word travels, perhaps. I mean, a lot of our students come to the program through word of mouth, which is great. We also recruit students through schools and, and, and other, other strategies. But I think our students talk to each other and they see, you know, they see the college bound component of the program they i think i would imagine they hear about the scholarships and um and they see that happening so economic mobility obviously one way of looking at that is completing a four-year degree there's still data around that but that you know it, you know by the way college is not we don't believe that college is the one and only thing it's just how we are set up right now um for the students we serve that's what we're doing that's what mm -hmm. we can deliver on we're also generally obviously very interested in workforce development. Um, that's just a whole other area that we are looking into and haven't gotten to yet. Um, and it's, I mean, you don't want to have adults talk about it, but yeah, arts, economic, arts equals economic mobility. That was the founding of this program. That's something that I personally, after have doing this for a while, was particularly passionate about. I deeply believe in the arts, but um, I just felt that game design as an expression of arts and technology with a $300 billion industry and growing and eclipsing filmmaking and other forms of media as entertainment 
Um, there's got to be a path to economic mobility for our students within that, right? Um, and even if they don't go into that industry, if the, if our students are able to to code and to do these art skills and also all these other amazing skills that they do in the program, like project management and develop their interpersonal skills, collaborate, uh, succeed together, fail together. Um, that's just setting them up for success. So that's the magic for us, economic mobility. And, and, and if we can prove that the arts actually do equal economic mobility, this kind of arts we do, for me, that's, that's the golden ticket. I think to add to that, just student, students have been uh, hit over the head a million times by uh, their schools and their college advisors and mentors like that STEM is the only way like you must, you know, mm -hmm. STEM is the priority. Right. Um, and they've been hearing that since since that has been the primary uh, focus, you know, like all funding is on towards STEM, et cetera, et cetera. And that doesn't necessarily mean like, and so you have a lot of young people like looking towards their future, these creative artists, artistic, you know, these write these student writers who are looking, looking at the future and be like, huh, like how, how am I going to fit into this? Like, this does not align with my interest, but this is what is so magical about, about game design is you can put together in a team, an artist and a writer and, uh, a creative thinker and a project manager and a, a developer, and they can make something amazing together. And in the process of of learning a bit about all of those schools, I mean, all of those skills, uh, they, you know, they're growing their own, they're, they're learning things that they didn't know about themselves. Like, oh, wait, mm -hmm. I actually do have <laughs> this uh, talent at, at, you know, bug tracking. I didn't even know I could figure this out. And it's, it's really just we can meet students where they are. And like, I have yet to meet a young person who doesn't answer. Yes. Of course. When I say, do you like to play games mm. um, <laughs> that, that helps them expand their, their own sense of their capacity. And, um, and honestly, no matter what field they're heading towards at the end of this, they've, they've built some, some incredible skills. Mm. Uh, and, you know, who knows? Like, <laughs> uh, you know, what's the the Watson AI will do all of our coding for us in the future, possibly. Um, so what what they're going to need at these companies is not someone to do like line by line programming. They're going to need someone who can evaluate that, who can uh, think uh, critically about it. Um, someone who can work in a team to to come up with great ideas for the coding bots to to code for you and our students are, are going to be right there at the forefront of that having done projects like this over long periods of time so um, and and how code makes stories um, yeah. which is so cool and how and something that urban art students are going to be so well prepared for so i wanted to ask you how did the harlem exhibit experience go for your students meredith i know you were there with a group what was it oh, like multiple times now uh so our first trip there was actually the day before it opened. Um, we brought uh, about 20 of our after-school club students. Um, these are uh, high schoolers in um, Harlem and the in the Lower Bronx who have been meeting with us weekly at their school to to do our sort of entry-level game design program. Um, and we brought them to the exhibit to play test it. Um, and they went in. They they. The, their task was to figure out what they loved, figure out what they would, they have better ideas for, what didn't really engage them, and to share that back uh, 
uh, with with Barry um, Joseph, who was there as well, to kind of watch the playtest, and they they adored it. It was it was great. Um, of course, I think their favorite thing is always the big screens playing games uh, collaboratively. Uh, so a lot of their time was spent just playing the games that were being showcased. Um, but they did they did explore some of the more um, uh, learning aspects of it as well and, and had great feedback um, for Barry. And then our second group, we went uh, two Saturdays ago. And this was really special because three uh, of the final games that our student teams had made in our mastery programs last year were selected to be showcased for an entire week at the exhibit. Hmm. Um, and on that Saturday was the first day of that showcase. So the student teams came out to represent their games. And at the same time, we brought 50 of our current game design students to come and explore the exhibit just as visitors and to get demos from uh, students who are just a, a year ahead of them oh. showing the games that they made. So, I mean, you can imagine the kind of like uh, clicks that were happening in their minds, like, oh, my gosh, like I'm at this, you know, citywide museum exhibit about video game design, looking at students who are just a year ahead of me being showcased mm. <laughs> among like other indie developers. Um, you know, it, 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 it's really it, if, if we if I need anything at all to like keep them on this path and to help motivate them to to feel a part of the New York City and the national gaming ecosystem like this was it. Um, we also uh, had been invited to have our students create um, or to share game avatars for the avatar wall at the exhibit. And so some of the students who had submitted their avatars and weren't sure if their avatar had gotten selected, like ran over there to see their stuff, like among all the other hmm. avatars. So it was just lots of amazing learning moments, identity moments, community moments. Um, uh, and just pride and, uh, you know, being able to celebrate their their peers who were being showcased was so, so cool. So fun. Last question. Um, I wanted to ask you both about what doorways this opens up, the, the work on pathways and sort of pushing into partnerships that are post-secondary and hopefully beyond, how does it help as urban arts continues to evolve who it serves and how it serves um, New York? Pathways, uh, uh, you started this off by saying, I think that you know there's, there's work or thinking done around pathways, but it's very much an evolving space. Pathways are many. I think one thing um, that we're learning is that Firstly, there's there's an educational advisory board that comes come that was formed as part of this group. This is uh, representatives of many of our corporate partners: Unity, NBC Universal, Microsoft, Take Two Interactive, Rockstar Games, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The list goes on, uh, and also indie uh, developers as well. And so we're looking there at um, the kinds of jobs that are sort of needed and or, um, you know, most perhaps most needed uh, in the industry right now. And we've one, one surprising thing we found at being a GDC Game Developers Conference last March was that Unity, the company Unity, who's also a partner of ours, was doing this thing called developing universal job profiles. Um, 
which they've done, by the way, and they've shared it with. I don't know if I don't know if you have you seen them yet, Meredith. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Great. Of course you have. Um, and so that's that's another step where still there's a lot of work to be done, but we wanted to bring the right people around the table to start to hammer out what what it really means and what it really looks like to have a job in this industry. What qualifications are necessary, and ultimately if. Uh, our partner, corporate partners, who are philanthropic partners as well, as well as sort of content partners, are willing to put their money where their mouth is and actually start to hire our students for internships. And we're seeing a bit of movement there, um, and that's that's another area that's still relatively new for us. I think we figured out the college access stuff, the internship. We figured out the mentorship stuff as well. That's going pretty well. The, the internship stuff, which is where the rubber meets the road, where the student is actually getting paid. Paid internships is what we're talking about. Um, connected with, you know, really making sure that we're preparing those students for those jobs that are up and coming. That's an interesting space that I would say. Watch this space. It's a hard one to to figure out um, because, again, game design is still relatively new. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, but that's something we're excited about. At least I'm excited. About. Um, I think I think some of the things we're doing uh, in the meantime, while the industry is getting caught up to to look to our students as like people to add to their teams, uh, I think we can continue to embed uh, urban arts youth and alum in the ecosystem in New York. Uh, we do that through events like Waffle Games, which I don't know if you've ever been to that, Mark, but it's amazing. It's coming up on April 20th, uh, and it's organized by the EGD Collective, which is a group of college students in the CUNY system making games. Um, and it's thousands of you know game enthusiasts, game makers uh, coming together to share what they're working on, um, and you know they're always hoping industry and industry folks will be there to kind of see what's what's next in gaming. Um, and we have our students uh, present alongside at their expo, uh, present their games. And last year, the, the, I watched the coolest moment happen where, uh, you know, an adult was, was going through and playing games at every table and, you know, asked like what year they were graduating and they were like, oh, next year. And he's like, oh, wow, do you have a job lined up? And they're like, oh, no, I'm graduating high school in a year. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and just like that, like realizing that that the game that this person had just play tested felt entirely like a college, a college level game. Just uh, that's exactly what we want. Um, and they were seeing alums from our program who are now in college at CUNY um presenting next to them too so it's just that like being being more and more included um in that kind of work i think will set us up for for that pathway um from college to career outstanding i would just say uh, in my career i've had you know partnerships are difficult uh, sometimes and this one's really great uh, with ccny and with Harlem gallery of science and and urban arts because our roles and the mayor's office of course of media and entertainment in new york city because our roles are very clearly defined and we know where you know you know what i mean there's, there's clarity there mm. and so the last thing i would say is yay for partnerships that are really well thought out and you know build upon each other and yeah so um, that that's been a really nice part of it excellent 
Meredith, Philip, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. We are pleased to be joined today by Silvia Aguinaga. She is the co-founder of Animo Games, and she began, uh, began playing games in the back room of her family's California bodega and went on to be a developer of games. Our exhibition here is featuring her company's first title, Star Stuff, Miss Aguinaga. <laughs> nice to be here um, and be part of a movement that sees games as art, as tools of agency, and as learning machines. Um, for me, games will always be a space that welcomes your desire to connect with either the person next to you or a character on the screen. Um, It'll always be a space for your imagination and our stories. Uh, so like Karen mentioned, I grew up uh, at my dad's store um, in the back playing on the original NES system. I played the Zelda, Mario, all the classics, Duck Hunt. <laughs> um, from my memory, I recall not being great at those games. Um, I recall you know, making lunch for my brothers to... Uh, to beat all the hard parts of the games for me. <laughs> um, what I didn't realize when I was seven, eight years old uh, was that being great at something right away is nearly impossible. Um, I found every excuse to uh, you know, tell myself that, you know, to make an excuse for my lack of skill in games um, com in comparison to my older brothers. Um, you know, I, I didn't try to challenge myself as a child. Um, I was scared to fail, and I won't open up that can of worms. <laughs> um, but I, what I will say is that sentiment really followed me uh, throughout college. And it wasn't until I taught myself how to code um, just for fun, and I started to build little synthesizers and mess with electronics, that I realized that uh, learning was fun. The process of seeing myself get better at something without pressure was part of this, this fun. Um, I saw how powerful that was uh, for me personally, and it motivated me to, to want to teach. I wanted to teach youth specifically, um, and now I, wanted to, I want to teach through games. Um, games, personally, uh, are one of the best playgrounds for nurturing this skill of embracing failure. Um, of risk-taking, of problem-solving, of going into unknown situations with a curious mind instead of a fearful one. The idea of creating safe spaces to try new things has been a common thread throughout my career, um, my career path, and it's led me to my dream job. So I have co-founded uh, co a game studio, Animo Game Studio, in 2021, and... <laughs> Thanks. And we are working on our first commercial release, Star Stuff. Um, I work with my husband, <laughs> so that's a whole other thing. Um, it's going well. <laughs> um, but we create lovable puzzle adventures. And as a studio, we really believe that a well-designed puzzle game 
a well-designed game can teach you, just change the way um, you approach problems in real life. Um, as the writer of Star Stuff, our upcoming programming puzzler, um, I want to create a sort of lightness to the mission by uh, creating a story full of chaotic events, um, but really grounding the player in this idea of taking things one step at a time. Um, I also very intentionally named the main character Mija, a Latin uh, term of endearment, uh, what I was called, what I'm still called <laughs> throughout life, um, just to commemorate that little inner niña, that little girl inside of me um, who lacked confidence. Uh, in Star Stuff, you play as a tiny, bright-eyed star alien, star alien uh, looking to get through your first day on the job at a star factory <laughs> where you um, create stars and shoot them into space. I was very much so into Carl Sagan when I started <laughs> uh, this game idea. Um, of course, everything goes wrong at the factory, um, but fear not, you are surrounded by a good crew. Um, we've designed a very well-designed pathway of puzzles um, that teach you everything that you need to succeed. Um, I'm so grateful to be in this position, to have our own studio and put a little piece of myself and my experience into a game. Um, and I hope it resonates with people who are looking to hear that you know it's time to take things step by step. Um, I hope kids and adults uh, visit this exhibit and leave with curiosity and big dreams. Um, and I thank you so much for hosting this beautiful space and also inviting us. I feel very honored to be on that list of politicians and very important people. Um, so thank you and uh, please let me know what you think about Star Stuff. <laughs> Sylvia, thank you so much for doing this. So you grew up in Santa Ana. Um, you told a great story earlier just about your early exposure to games. Um, what do you think young women coming with families through this exhibition um, get from this uniquely from other audiences? And, and what do you hope they see when they see you up on the wall and the you know the experience, the part of the exhibition that that you've become a part of. Um, what do you hope they take from that? Uh, that's a a very powerful question. Um, it's just it's so important to see just people like you, people with similar experiences, up on a wall. Someone to tangibly be like, I want to be like that person. I can be like that person. Um, I think, so I, I did not have that when I was a kid. And that's why I feel like I was really kind of stuck in this, like, I, I can't, I, I mean, I'm good at things, but I'm going to just stay in my lane and, like, be good at these things because I don't want to try anything else because I might, you know, I might fail. And um, But it, it's it really kind of comes down to not being exposed to things early and not... Um, being told by someone that like this is part of the process um, and this is how you learn. Can you uh, just very quickly describe um, Star Stuff? Like give me the, the premise and, and the, how you would pitch the game to a young person or a, a family, you know, somebody who's walking through the exhibition. Sure. Okay, so Star Stuff is a puzzle automation adventure where you 
play as a uh, young Starlion who's it's first day on the job at a star factory where you uh, create stars and shoot them into space. Um, so you are programming bots, um, but you play a very important role and you're a piece of the puzzle yourself. So you have to work with your bots uh, to get to your goal and save the ever-expanding universe. I have struggled as somebody who has um, run programs for teens helping them think about their aspirations and what a path would look like to follow those. Um, the business of games has all kinds of, uh, all kinds of endings, right? And they haven't always been great for um, women designers. What's your message for parents who um, have a, a teenage girl who is excited about game design, wants to follow this pathway. Like, how do we describe a pathway that's going to, where, where they can participate in a way where they change the future of that field um, and parents can feel good about, yeah, this is an industry where I, I see my daughter. I am a, what I... I'm part of the the indie game space, right? So that we have indie games, double A AA and triple A. Um, the indie game space I will talk to because I have most experience with it um, is so open <laughs> to. Um, I mean, I, I, there's a community for for everyone. There's, I, I would say, find your community. Um, you know, find the people that make you feel safe in in the creation space. Um, because it is hard. Uh, it's, it's financially difficult um, because you have a passion project and it takes a lot of money to make a game um, if you want to like have a, a, you know, make a good living. Um, so you need to, one, find your people on the financial side of things. There are people out there who are angel investors and care about your mission, like hustle and, or have someone that's their job <laughs> so that everyone can sustain themselves and then on the other end um, find your community on like the creative side of things um, and that's likely where they'll start right um, so you know there's there are a lot of resources out there I'm a part of maybe three different women-led discords that are like women in gaming um, Latinas in gaming um, so your community could be all several, like several levels uh, deep, and I can't say enough how much it's helped kind of just to vent in that community, um, to to look for resources, to you know ask for a favor, or even give advice um, and mentor others. Um, so I would say that's that's important. If you're if you're going into triple A and double A, um, it does get much harder. I think you're, yeah. I mean the numbers games like there are much, way more males in the industry um, but you know what it's it's all about kind of like what type of game are you creating um, and there's choice there it's like you can there are several studios that are I've seen are just creating beautiful things um, and really open and diverse and inclusive um, of all people and it's just um, a matter of finding <laughs> those studios um, or creating your own studio. And for us, we were very lucky and fortunate to find the funding first so I could 
create what I wanted to see in the world from scratch. Um, I'm in charge of hiring, and I'm in charge of of like creating that space. So um, I feel like if you you find more people in the like like myself to mentor you, um, or you know just like ask more questions with the, the teachers that are a part of the programs that you're in um, around gaming because there's always there's always an answer. There's always a chance to make um, connections with people that you feel safe with. It's harder uh, to find and you might not find it in AAA working for Blizzard <laughs> um, right away, but I'm sure even in those communities there are people who are coming together and um, creating a safe space for you. I feel super lucky to have bumped into you, and this is super fun. I know it's an old cliche that we live in interesting times, but I honestly think we're at a crossroads and that we face the challenge of making the American dream a reality for today's black and Latinx youth. In 1847, the city of New York, uh, which was then just Manhattan, faced a similar crossroads. Its leaders recognized that to grow the city's economy and to strengthen democracy, it needed to have an educated workforce. At the time, there were two universities in New York City, Columbia, and NYU had started 20 years earlier. So they took a leap of faith and they created the Free Academy, which today is the City College of New York. And the founding of City College was based on the principle that admissions were based on merit and not on your ability to pay. And today the dream of providing that form of education has been realized by hundreds of thousands of its graduates. Fast forward 116 years to the graduation of the City College class of 1963. The keynote speaker that year was Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King gave his I Have a Dream speech. And that speech that inspired and energized a whole generation when he delivered it in Washington, D.C. on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. This exhibition focuses on today's youth and the various roles that video games play in their lives and addresses the issue of social equity. Its goal is to inform young gamers about the opportunities available to them and to educate teachers about the power of games and gamification to engage young people and inform parents and caregivers that video games can lead to high paying jobs. Mayor Adams has declared growing the video gaming industry in New York City a major priority. He, he wants to develop a workforce that reflects the diversity of the city by investing in programs such as Gaming Pathways to transform today's youth into producers, not simply consumers of video games. Greg Davis reported in the January 29th edition of The City that a new EDC report shows STEM jobs are driving the economic growth and adding high-paying jobs to the city. 
and is on the brink of eclipsing Wall Street in New York City's economy. But diversity continues to remain an issue. The growth of the video gaming industry in New York City provides an opportunity to address the diversity gap. All of us in this room can play a part in making this happen by taking the path that ensures help is provided to black and Latinx youths so that they can fulfill their dreams. I want to thank you. My name is Christopher Grant. I was on a youth advisory board for Video Games The Great Connector. Um, it was an amazing two months where I really got to get my voice, it was, my voice was able to be heard. Um, as someone who consumed video games for my whole life at that point, you know, I was able to give my direct input into what a museum exhibit would look like. You know, um, a lot of the contributors to this project may have not played video games ever, um, but you know, having that, that, that voice in there of someone who grew up playing video games, loves video games, I think it's really important to this project just because that's what it's about. When you guys talked about audience, where did you start? Who, who were you designing for with this exhibit? So the audience was really, it was really, uh, first and foremost, other gamers who are also, you know, within the 12 to 18 range, you know, middle school, high school students. Uh, then the secondary teachers, uh, right, because that's also important. Um, this is supposed to be an education tool as well about, you know, video games. And lastly, the parents. Parents, or maybe not lastly, because that's also a very important component, just because parents, without the parents, you know, without parents being informed about video games and how, you know, how good they are at communicating, you know, being a connector, being an education tool, without the parents knowing that, <laughs> nothing, you know, none of this would be, be possible really, right? Did you bring people to the exhibit at, you know, prior to opening where you got to have those conversations that you're hoping that young visitors are going to have with their folks or their uh, brothers and sisters, folks who are telling them constantly, like, get off the games, let's do something else. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I had the same conversation with my mother, for example, um, when I used to play a lot of video games during the pandemic. And it was a really dark time just because we were all in lockdown. There wasn't too much else to do. And video games was everybody's common ground, at least with my friends. We all got in the same games, played the same games, and were able to connect that way. Uh, but my mom didn't think the same. She thought, you know, you're spending all this time on the video games, you could be doing something productive, right? But she wasn't aware that, you know, the video games was like my social life, right? And this is, you know, this is exactly what this museum exhibit is for, the great connector to show that video games connect everybody. In your experience, having worked with the uh, youth advisory group, what was one thing that you all kept coming back to as like, this is one thing we want people to walk away with? Well, the one thing we, we really wanted to have people walk away with was the human part of it, right? That actual, you know, people who play video games, it's like, it's very relatable. For example, there's a, a section, if you walk into like, you know, and take a right, there's a section there where it's like the character development, you know, portion where it talks about, you know, The Sims and how The Sims is like, the first video game to really allow people to create their own characters or own uh, people in video games. And then it goes even deeper into giving you know, testimonials from other youth advisors um, saying that, you know, I really relate to, to this character in this video game. Um, and it just gives them, you know, it gives the viewer 
the insight to say, okay, like you know, people actually relate to characters in video games. You're a freshman at Baruch. Yes. You're studying graphic design. Um, super exciting. You got a lot going on. You're also working full time. Um, I won't say your employer's name, uh, but it's super exciting for you. And bringing your perspective to this is makes it what it is. And so, so exciting to get to talk to you. You know, when you see the physical thing in person, it's like, whoa, you know, my contributions actually led to something tangible. You can touch it. Um, and I really, it's really a, a great experience. My name is Nick Martinez, curator of the Video Games The Great Connector exhibition. I happen to now know about you that you went to Brooklyn Tech. So not only are you curator of this exhibition, uh, but you also know something about a pathway in New York City and uh, a, a life in technology that comes out of New York City public schools. Um, tell me, what does it mean for you to curate this exhibition? Honestly, it sort of brings everything full circle. Um, when, when I was in high school at Brooklyn Tech, we had to select majors. And the major that I wanted to select was computer science. But my mom was like, nah, I want you to pick biomed. That's probably more your interest. And so I went that route and, and studied pre-med and college and then I switched over to, to anthropology um, and I started working in museums and I got this opportunity to sort of go back into the world of technology because I was still really into video games. I played video games my whole life and this was a once in a lifetime opportunity to merge the interests that I had and to bring back my interest in tech, my interest in games and the skill set that I had developed working in museums to be able to, to curate this exhibition. I'm extremely proud of this because one, it's the first opportunity that I've had to curate something, to really put my stamp on something, um, but also because of that community aspect, that's really been important to me and really been a focus of mine is bringing community into, into the work and making sure that their voices are represented, that their stories are being told. Um, because often in galleries and museum spaces, you don't have the stories of, of just regular people who are living their life doing work. Um, you don't involve community in the design process. And so all of those things were really important to the design of the exhibit and making sure that the exhibit felt like something that resonated with people and resonated with, with the community. And... Um, especially black and brown communities, black and Latinx communities, um, don't often see themselves in, in exhibits in positive ways. Um, and so that was really important to me. I assume that you had a big role working with the youth advisory for this show. Tell me what that was like and uh, were they ready to contribute to this thing? Did they realize what they were participating in and what was it like for you as, as uh, somebody who typically is running youth programs in a big museum uh, to now be able to engage them in creating a thing people were going to experience firsthand? Youth code design is really something that's sort of new to, to museum spaces um, and building opportunities for them to, to not just be extracted from 
um, where we're just asking them questions, but really to help them think about what they want to see in the exhibit and what's important for them um, and build that sense of comfortability with sharing their thoughts and ideas um, and knowing that their ideas will be valued and incorporated. You know, and so that was important sort of at the beginning to build that, that sense of trust and that sense of comfortability. Um, and as you go through the exhibit, there were specific things in the exhibit that the young people who were part of our advisories really wanted us to make sure that we included um, and things that they wanted us to shy away from. Like they didn't want us to beat you over the head with the, the story of like diversity and the need for diversity in, in gaming. They wanted it to be incorporated. They wanted it to be seamless. Um, and, and we tried to do that in the exhibit. Um, we, during the advisories, we talked a lot about what resonates with someone, what characters resonate with you, what, why do you design your characters that way? And in the exhibit, you'll see an avatar gallery of, of avatars that young people have created um, showing you how they represent themselves in the gaming world. You'll see an opportunity for for visitors to design and draw the characters that resonate with them. Um, and those were direct things that the young people in the advisory had talked to us about. Um, and so we wanted to find ways to incorporate the things that they felt important to them. Narrate for me with a little bit of detail, as if we're walking through it, your favorite part of the exhibit. My favorite part of the exhibition is the community gaming map. Um, so in the exhibit, um, there are a few tablets that have a list of every single gaming program and um, opportunity for young people in New York City. And I think making sure that that was included in the exhibit was really important to help people understand how to connect with the gaming community once they leave the exhibit but also it helps them see the, the concentration of where things are located. Um, and so to start to think about the social implications and the social reasoning for why we have so many programs and so many opportunities in Manhattan, but we have less in Brooklyn and the Bronx and in Queens and in Staten Island and what that means socially and how they can be part of helping to build those communities and to build out opportunities for other young people to come together in those boroughs that are sort of forgotten in the, the gaming landscape because you have a lot of colleges in Manhattan, a lot of programming happening in Manhattan, but the other boroughs need those things too. And I grew up in Brooklyn um, and when I grew up in Brooklyn, I grew up in Bed-Stuy, there weren't a lot of game design programs in, in that area, um, but I would have wanted those things. I would have joined those clubs, you know? So um, it's an opportunity for them to see the, the reality of where we are, but also to, to think about how they can change that reality. If you had one thing that if a, a, a family takes away one thing together, like a conversation they have together out of this experience, what do you hope that that is? Every single member of that family is a gamer. Um, and that there are games that they can play 
either on their own or together. And we all do that. And so gaming is social, but it's also an opportunity for you to develop your sense of self. Um, and, and in the exhibit, there's an opportunity for, for eight players to play together and work together to solve increasingly complex puzzles. And I think that, that families especially can, can utilize games like that to build relationships with one another, to have conversations with one another, and to spend time with one another. Because we often are so busy that we don't take those opportunities anymore. And I think that that's important. And games give you that opportunity. Families that play together. Stay together. <laughs> Right. Well, now it is my great pleasure to welcome the Provost of the City College of New York, Tony Liss. Provost Liss is an internationally known physicist with research experience at the world's highest energy accelerators, has served as the Provost and as the Senior Vice President for Academic Affairs of the City College of New York since March 2018. As a physicist and academic administrator, Provost List has been deeply involved for decades in opening academic doors in the STEM fields for individuals from marginalized communities. Provost List serves on the board of Science and Arts Engagement New York, Harlem Gallery of Science parent company. Uh, Provost List serves, uh, plays a key leadership role in the gaming initiatives at both City College and at the Harlem Gallery of Science. Provost List. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks. <clears throat> Thanks so much, Karen. Okay, so I'm, I'm really happy to be here to, to, to represent City College. I'm gonna start with, with some thank yous and some shout outs. And the thank yous, of course, go to Stan and Claire and Brian for the Harlem Gallery and and the Gaming Pathways program at City College, which would not have been possible um, without Stan. I also want to thank the mayor's office and MOMI for their support of that program and for trusting us um, to get it started and trusting us to launch it um, and having that happen at City College. We are incredibly excited about this. And I want to shout out Dean Susan Perkins, the Dean of Science at City College, who's back there, um, because this would not be happening without her either. So when Stan brought the idea of gaming pathways, you know, I've been working with Stan and Brian and the Harlem Gallery pretty much since it started. Um, and we were talking about something a little bit different. And Stan just has this amazingly active imagination and things are, you know, ideas coming out all the time. And when he brought the idea of the gaming program to City College, I have to say I was a little skeptical. Um, but, you know, we ran with it and the mayor was obviously supportive of it. And we are very grateful for the mayor's support. And so we got this wonderful grant from MOMI to start the program. And the grant allowed us to hire um, staff member, Nick Fortunio, who um, I, I don't actually know. I think Stan knew him from through Susan. Um, and because Susan's a gamer. Um, 
And Nick has been absolutely instrumental in the actual assembly of the program. So where we are now is that we have an incredibly popular set of classes that Nick has launched. Um, and they, you know, classes get put on the, you know, put up for registration and they fill in about an hour. So there's an incredible amount of demand. My name is Nick Fortuno. I'm the director of Gaming Pathways at City College of New York, and I'm a game designer and interactive designer and entrepreneur in games for the last 20 years. Nick, thanks for doing this. Can you give a sense of how the academic or program track is designed for students at CCNY? The digital game development program at CCNY is focused on taking uh, incoming students who haven't really had any experience with games necessarily other than playing them and giving them an opportunity to identify the different disciplines that are involved in games, get a taste of all of those disciplines, and then specialize in those disciplines in team settings. And so the structure of the curriculum, which is actually you know fairly standard to a certain type of game design education at the college level, is that we introduce people to the three core disciplines of game design, what we consider the three most important of the many disciplines, uh, game design itself, right? Like the process of designing systems, game programming, um, you know, which is like doing the coding that makes the game function, and then the visual design uh, and art side of the games of creating the assets. All students get exposure to those three skills over the first two years of the degree. And then in the last half of the degree, having had that exposure, they choose a role that they want to focus on, and then they take elective credits, and then they work in team studio environments from that role, so that by the end of the four-year degree, they're on a fairly large team on a capstone project functioning in a role that they are interested in pursuing once they graduate. And so, and then the, the elective structures are supplemented with other skills that are involved in game development, like music, sound design, writing, producing, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the idea is that everybody gets a little bit of exposure to the kind of core disciplines of digital game development. And then they immediately move in their junior year into team-based structures where they learn to function as groups, do the basic producing that's necessary to make those things work, and then actually start learning how their role interfaces with these other roles as they go deeper on the role that they find interesting. Awesome. Can you describe for me the student? Like, do most come through previous game design or computer science programs in the city, who are they? So the students who come into City College are split, basically, when they're interested in game development between students who have done some either school-based or after-school-based work in, you know, some aspect of game development, which might be like a programming STEM adjacent field like robotics or something, right? Like you think about like the mind stormy kind of education that goes on, right? Things of that vein or literal game development, which often will be things like Scratch or RPG Maker or, or maybe some like really, really basic introduction to Unity. And then students who actually have none of that exposure at all, right? Mm. Like like there, there is a good portion of students who come into the school uh, who have played games, obviously, and are actually quite passionate about games, but don't really know anything about how games are developed. And so we see a, a split between them. And so from a perspective in programming education, our introduction to programming assumes that students have no experience programming hmm. at all. And I think this is actually really critical in the New York area because 
uh, you know, there was this move that happened under COVID to move laptops to kids so that they could be involved in, you know, remote education. And on the one hand, this is kind of amazing. You know, you have everybody in New York having a Chromebook at the high school age, which which opens up all sorts of interesting possibilities for education. But those are not computers that can run you know, modern game development software Hmm. at all, right? And so even though students have access to those computers, they haven't really done anything even remotely resembling programming in a lot of cases. I mean, to the level at which like, WYSIWYGI, like WordPressy stuff is not something to necessarily exposed to, right? Hmm. Like, let alone something like JavaScript. So we assume that students are coming in with like none of that education at all, and we build them up from the ground uh, into, uh, you know, like programming and uh, and game design. On the art side, that's a little different. Most students who are interested in doing digital art have done some kind of digital art before. It's very rare that a student, in at least in my experience, comes to college not interested in doing visual arts, discovers visual arts of some kind, and then it's just like, oh, I want to do them, mm-hmm. right? So that tends to be a little bit more of a, a class of student that kind of knows what they want when they walk in. And really the difference for those students is like, am I more interested in working in games or am I work, interested in working in graphic design or am I more interested in working in animation? Like th- it's more like I'm definitely doing something with these visual skills I have. I just don't know what it's going to be. But uh, programming is something that that often um, students who ha- didn't have high schools that really focused on this don't have any exposure to at all. And it's a brand new topic. And essentially nobody really learns game design um, until they take a, a good, like a legit game design class. Like that's just not a discipline that's really – taught or I, I would argue deeply understood outside of game development circles. Yeah. You have a long history of involvement as an educator and supporter of how we foster young makers of game environments through a bunch of different organizations over time. I wonder, is this a step at CCNY, um, a, a next step that you feel you've been working towards? I have wanted to be a full-time professor of games for over 20 years is the is the easiest way to say like how this has been a trajectory for me being at city college and like what what it means to my career i've been interested in teaching before i was a game designer Mm -hmm. i've been uh like i I really love teaching and i love teaching in the arts in particular um because i think you have this really unique point that you can access people where they are working on their own ideas and you can you can basically mentor them through their own ideas. So it gives you this kind of capacity to be creative and assist in all of these things you would never ever make on your own, right? Cuz you're just your brain just wouldn't go there or do those things. And then you get to see innovation happening, right? Like just like right in front of you. And I think um what I've been telling people as they ask me about City College is uh, if I basically tell them, if you had asked me 10 years ago uh, when I was still adjuncting around the city in different places, like what like let's just imagine you had a full time job. What would your dream job be? Uh, I basically say, oh, well, let me build a game design program, let it be in a public institution. So I'm working with students who are not paying a crazy amount of money to do it and can access them. And let's put it someplace where students don't have access to game design education. So I can work with like really diverse populations that have ideas that haven't been expressed and uh, make it a really beautiful campus and put it 15 minutes from my house so I can walk to work every day. Mm. 
you know, and this would have been like uh, like a crazy dream that would be impossible. And that's what I have. <laughs> so it's uh, it's amazing. It is it is I, I can't imagine a position I would I would would have wanted more. And I'm very, very happy to be at City College. It's incredible. That's so good to hear. I assume growth in the program is the goal to you. At this point, what's what's the kind of growth that's most important in the year or two ahead if this bigger dream of substantiating these pathways is going to be as real as New York City wants them to be? I think in terms of the growth of the program, the most important things are making sure that the pipeline, all the aspects of the pipeline that is gaming pathways function the way they're supposed to, because I very much believe in the vision of gaming pathways, right? Like the basic vision is that there are initiatives that are feeders at the middle school through the Harlem Gallery of Science, and at the high school through Harlem Gallery of Science and Urban Arts, of game development education that's STEAM-focused, that then moves people to the CUNY system who for whom that's the most viable option, and that's OSTOS at the associate's level and CCNY at the senior level. And then into industry, right? Like into internships, mentorships, and jobs, right? And so those, if you take those those pieces of like pre-college, college, post-college, I think the most important part of growth of the program is making sure that each one of those pieces functions the way it functions. Mm-hmm. So where I feel like we are right now is that uh, we have a relationship with, with Urban Arts and the Harlem Gallery of Science, and we are working with those students, and those students are now aware of City College as a program. I think that the the thing that we need to do at City College is um you know can you know get the degree locked down in a in a formal way which we're working on right now and looks likely to happen very soon like that's all going very smoothly. But I think on the other hand it's it's making a case for City College not as simply a public institution but as a, a an institution that people can aspire to to do this kind of work, right? Mm-hmm. Like we, the belief in the diversification of the industry, right? That we want more voices in the industry is not an act of charity, right? I think it's a mistake to think about it that way. It's the idea that if we look and take Harlem as an example, if we look at the history of the expansion of the arts, when new voices start working in the arts, we get whole new kinds of stories and work and we build whole new disciplines of work that didn't exist before. And like, and and if we just look at the history of like, like black working arts, right? Like we can just point to like, like, like movement after movement after movement that was just like spawned from the particular mix that became possible from a voice that hadn't been heard. Mm -hmm. Right. And I don't think we have any reason to believe games won't do the same thing. Right. And, and representation, like, like gender representation is still weak in games, racial representation, like diverse racial representation in games is very weak in games. So why wouldn't we think that if populations that play games in enormous numbers and are very passionate about games and have the opportunity to learn the skills that help them make games, they're not going to make like amazing new things that change Hmm. our industry. But to do that, I think it's incumbent on City College to build a world-class education, right? Like we can't simply be an affordable option for game development. We have to be an excellent option for game development. Um, But I think that's possible because I think that um, if we're smart about how we make it and the fact that, you know, and I I don't want to be self-aggrandize, but like I've been doing this for a long time, right? Like I know how to do it. I've taught in a lot of institutions. I feel very confident about my ability to teach what I teach. 
we're hiring more lines that will hopefully supplement that on the technical and and other aspects of development side. And if we can really build that, which I think we can, because if you're strict, there's only really two other pure game development programs in the New York City area that are like targeted game development programs. There are lots of schools where you can study game development that are very good. Like Parsons is an example of that, right? Parsons creates very, very good game development students, but it's a design and technology degree, right? Mm. That's not something that 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 is advertising itself like like really dramatically as games, even though excellent game designers there, excellent instructors of games, excellent students have come through there. We're really competing with stuff like NYU, right? Like the Game Center at NYU and what yeah. Pratt's doing. And so that means that it's a market that's actually pretty open, right? Like it's a pretty open market to talk about what we do. And that I think gives us a capacity to to really be a high level player in the New York City area. And so my goal is to present City College not just as an option that's available to students uh, for whom the location or the resource cost is something that that's a major factor in their decision making. And I think it's, again, important to point out that like, you know, most people graduate from City College without debt, right? So it's th that's a real reason to go to a public institution, but that you know that the education you're getting is at the level of these other institutions. And so I think that's what's really incumbent on us. And then the second piece of it that I think the, where the growth is going to be really important is continuing to foster the industry relationships we have so that students have um, outcomes that are going to be valuable to them. And our current advisory board contains groups like Rockstar, Epic, Unreal, uh, Unity, Microsoft, um, Avalanche, right? Like, like major studios that are, and I'm more Paramount, right? Like, there's there's major studios there that are that are interested in finding ways to work with our students, and so cultivating those relationships so students see some of those outcomes. But also, you know, like with Backerkit or Kickstarter or like other areas where people can like like form their own companies, like really building a diversity of outcomes for students. And so I think those two things are synergistic, right? The better students we create, the more of those opportunities there will be, and the more that those opportunities are there, the more it will drive students to be better. But I think that's where we really need to focus our efforts and 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 make something, you know, really powerful. But I'm I'm confident in our ability to do it because I believe in um, the value of being in New York City. I believe in the potential for these students because I work with them and I can see they're passionate about games. They think about games. They can be critical about games. Beautiful. So something I loved about the exhibit in Harlem was that it brought people together in a very physical space. And I think that folks who don't know um, games and game design outside of the, the narrative that they think about when they think about their kids playing games or um, even if them, they dabble themselves in video games, um, physical spaces are a, a huge part of like any community and culture, like what moves the dialogue uh, along in interesting ways. And I just wondered if you would speak to that a little bit. Um, in, in your mind, what's the purpose of having an exhibit space that's messaging interesting things about games, maybe in a different way than most of us are thinking about games and game culture? I think that the the name of the exhibit points to some of the value that the that the idea of an exhibit in physical space around digital games can bring right it's it's the idea of connection and i think 
I think what people who aren't deep in game culture often don't recognize is the way that games naturally cause people to bond, right, when they play together. This is something that Bernie DeCoven talks a lot about in, you know, in the writing, the general writing he's done, uh, he did around uh, the new games movement and like what play does and this like, um, um, like the, the, this, this sense that we can bond with each other over games. And that happens in these games. It happens in online multiplayer games. It happens in MOBAs. It happens in single player games where people share information about what they do. And so at one level, I think what the exhibit is doing is just showing that picture back to those gamers, right? Like we, like the museum in a way is validating those players who already know this, but they don't know it. They don't get to see it in an official capacity. They don't get to see an authority tell them like, yes, this is what actually is happening. And there's something really validating about that because all of the data that's in there comes from, you know, Barry Joseph's own research into the idea of how kids report games function in their lives. Right. Mm. Like that's not speculative. That's like literally the the students own voices talking about like, oh, games do these things for me. Right. And can do these things for me. So I think that's like a really important piece of it. But then the second piece of it is having people recognize that that. None of that, that the isolation we imagine that games create this like kind of isolated antisociality that games create that we we've talked about forever, um, you know, because people like claim that people who played D&D were were doing that. They mm. were hiding in our closet and then learning to be antisocial, which can I just say was like the stupidest thing anybody ever <laughs> said about Dungeons and Dragons, because I'm like. So literally sitting around in a room with six of my friends and telling stories for six hours is me being antisocial. Right. Can you explain to me <laughs> what what antisocial thing I'm doing by literally talking to people for six hours? Right. Um, I think all of those things start pointing to this vision of games not as an isolating, um, narcissistic, uh, like um, escapist reality. It's a reality in which I'm actually expansive, right? It's a reality in which I work with other people and I talk to other people and I share with other people. And certainly at the development side, that's what it is because making a game is most akin to making a film or making a theater production, right? Like it's a bunch of dis different disciplines working together on a creative project that all of them own, right? Um, and no one working on a film thinks of themselves as isolated, mm -hmm. right? Like that's insane, right? Nobody, and, and goodness, a theater production, right? Like the idea that you'd work on a theater production and feel like you were alone. It's like the last thing on earth you are is alone, yeah. right? Like you're constantly around other people. And so I think that, that part of the message there is that games are not something that isolates you games are things that show you reflections of yourself in others they give you an opportunity to coordinate with other people and then in the process of developing create with other people and that those connections are very very powerful right it's really important to me actually in this vein that a lot of the education that happens at city college is in person right um like we don't want it to be remote and we don't want it to be remote because there's something that happens when groups of creative people work together in a physical environment, right? Like they they bond in a different way. And I think it's just really important for us to recognize that the fact that we see this medium and we often envision this medium as like the person tunneled into this like like cave of light that that nothing accesses is is that's that's an outsider's view of what games are and if we know anything about games we know that an outsider's view of games is not the experience of games hmm. the playing of games is the experience of games and that play is not isolated yeah nick fortuno i can't thank you enough i so appreciate your thoughts and the work that you're doing at ccny um i can't wait to 
keep up and hear how it's going as you grow the program and uh, grow in the way that you're partnering with so many other important stakeholders in New York. Thanks a lot, Nick. Thank you so much. I have so many people to thank for this episode. Among them, you heard voices of Stan Altman, Karen Murray and Curtis Archer, who emceed the opening of the exhibit. Of course, Sylviette Mimo Games, New York City Commissioner of Media and Entertainment, Pat Swinney Kaufman, Nick Fortuno at CCNY, Philip Courtney and Meredith Sums from Urban Arts, Christopher Grant, member of the Youth Advisory, curator Nick Martinez, and last but not least, curator of the exhibition, a giant in New York City digital youth programming, and somebody who I'm very lucky to call a friend. We'll end with a short interview with Barry Joseph. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I was hoping you would start by, like, narrate your favorite part of the exhibition. Like, what's an experience just to give people a flavor of what to expect and that characterizes the theme of connection? So the exhibit looks at the themes of connection in three ways. Connections with self, connections with community, and connections with one's future. The section that's about the connections with self is actually two parts. It's about looking at how games are used by young people to shape their identity, but also how to develop skills. One of my favorite parts of the exhibit that really kind of reflects the whole part is that first part, the connection with self. And one of the interactives we have is a, it's kind of like a replica of a refrigerator. You know how you have those fridge magnets with words? We have words, and it says there's a prompt at the top. It says, how do games make you feel, dot, dot, dot. And then there's big, giant versions of those magnets, which are all words with emotions. And we had no idea until the first time we had a group of students come in to test it if they were going to even get the idea of it. Like, is that something they know, word magnets? Are they going to look at these words and, and be able to think about that question that probably no one's ever asked them before and come up with answers? And, of course, they came up with answers that I'd never imagined before because they were combining them with each other. They were overlapping words with each other, making up new words, and they were taking complex ideas like something that was really positive and then with a, a negative emoji or something really negative, like frustrated, with a positive emoji because it's complicated because the way that young people feel the way they want to make themselves feel through making games is complicated. And that was the whole point, that no one's ever asked them those questions. This is an environment that's a safe space to kind of look at what other people have said, think about it for yourself, and then if you want to, choose to make it public. And then once it's made public, becoming a prompt for you to have conversations with the people who you're with. Whether it's an adult caregiver who's like, well, that's interesting, why'd you do that? Or peers who were like, yeah, me too. And so talking with young people who did it afterwards, I asked them, I said, what was it like to do that? And they're like, well, no, no one's ever asked me that before. And I said, and what was that like? And some people were like, oh, that was good. And other people were like, ah, meaning like all these emotions were coming up because that's what it was all about. And so for me, that's what the exhibit's about. Young people having an opportunity to have their experience validated and giving them a chance to explore what it means for them from their perspective to be using games to shape their lives. If there's one thing that you hope uh, a family, a friend group that is uh, mixed in age, uh, a group of people comes in and what's one thing you hope they leave with talking about on their way to the train? When people leave the exhibit, I want them to be thinking about the agency that they have in regards to the choices they make in bringing games into their lives to deepen their connections with the people they know, the ideas they're interested in, and their dreams for the future. And these are things that they're already doing, but what we're hoping the exhibit will do is make those things that are somewhat transparent, more visible, and even more aware for people who aren't even aware they're actually doing it. Even just knowing that it's something one could even talk about. So I'm hoping these are things that were in their heads coming in, and it's out of their heads amongst themselves to be explored when they come out. 
Well, you've been pushing this rock for decades. The rock being building ecosystems for young people that change the narrative from uh, what games do to us to uh, what we can do through games. And I just want to ask you about your perspective. At this moment, seeing people come through the exhibit, um, how do you feel about the progress we've made at this point? I feel like this is the perfect time for an exhibit like this because there's recognition that, yes, of course museums can talk about games. Of course the Museum of Modern Art can have a collection of games. Of course they can have an exhibit that focuses on games as a form of interactive design. Uh, of course, the, the Museum of the Moving Image in Queens can have game, uh, exhibits that look back at certain genres of games, like war games or independent games. What we're doing now is doing something that hasn't happened yet in this space, which is centering young people as the core voice and perspective within the exhibit, while the adults who are coming in are looking in from the outside, and at the same time threading throughout the theme of racial equity. And be, to be able to do that now, where we're at in our culture, both the issue of thinking about young people and what they need to be successful in society, and thinking about what we all need around issues around racial equity. And to be able to do that now, after these decades of working to validate the importance of, of games in our lives, feels incredible to still be part of it. That we're not done with this battle, but that each year we see more and more attention and recognition to what's possible in our 21st century, Ludic century, as Eric Zimmerman termed it, where games are the major medium for our age. But of course, that medium is often pushed by, as everything is in our society, the potentials for making profit. So being able to keep focusing as we are today on not just how much money can be made if you work in the industry, which is important and valid for young people to know, but all of the other ways that it can be used for, for social good, whether we're talking about society writ large or individually amongst the people in your lives. For more info about advertising with us, sponsoring the show, or if you have story ideas you want to share, find me on Twitter, at M.A. Lesser. The tracks in this podcast were produced by Leroy Tindy. A guest in episode zero, alumni of two bomber nations, Ithaca and the Bronx, New York, and engineer of digital things and fresh beats. Find him on SoundCloud at Air Tindy Beats. No such thing is produced by me, Mark Lesser. A learner like you and our show notes can be found at nosuchthingpodcast.org.